Well, the last time that we gathered, we took a look at Matthew chapter 11, 11, and this morning we're going to go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 12. So please open up your Bibles there to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. Uh, it is Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And if you weren't with us when we studied chapter 11, you can find that teaching and all of our teachings on the internet, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, YouTube, and, and many other outlets uh, simply by searching A Love Outreach. We also have a website. It's www.aloveoutreach.com where our teachings are available on there as well. But um, here in, in Matthew chapter 12, we continue to follow the life of Jesus Christ during His earthly ministry. And jumping right on into verse 1 of Matthew chapter 12, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, for those of you who may picture the disciples of Jesus with halos over their heads, uh, it's important to, to learn as you read the Bible that these were ordinary men. Okay? They hungered and they thirsted and um, they experienced all the normal things that every other human being experiences in life. You know, everyone on the face of the earth, you know, they, they became saints through faith in Jesus Christ the same way that any other person becomes a saint today. They were unique only in their calling by the Lord to become his apostles, but they were ordinary everyday men that gave their lives to follow Jesus just as you and I can do today or anyone can do today. So on this day here that we're reading about, they were all very hungry and they were eating the grain in the fields. And verse 2 continues and says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, this is speaking to Jesus, right? Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay, now here's what we need to understand about the Pharisees here. They were a, a sect, a social movement, if you will, a group of men that held to strict observance of the traditional and the written law. A very pre pretentious group of men, right, that thought that their religion made them above everyone else. Now, of course, we have a lot of religious groups of people still like that in the world today, right? True followers of Christ, though, as seen in the Bible and as properly taught in the pages of the New Testament, are not to be high-minded, self-righteous people. But rather, true followers of Christ are to be lowly-minded and humble people. This is what Jesus taught, and this is how Jesus Himself was, right? But that would be being the direct opposite of these nitpicking Pharisees that we see here, right? They didn't understand who was standing right in front of them at this point in time. Again, picture the scene of what's happening here. You know, they're confronting Jesus about 
a religious matter, right? And they don't understand who this is that's standing right in front of them. They were missing who Jesus really was. You see, with the laws of the Sabbath, you were not allowed to, to work on the Sabbath, right? It was, it was to be a day of rest. And of course, we know that the law was good and was in place for a time leading up to the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus was now on the scene here. And they were blind to who He was. They were blind to the fact that this is the Messiah standing right in front of us. So the Pharisees see the disciples of Jesus harvesting, threshing, and winnowing, right? And they are accusing them of breaking the laws of the Sabbath. If you don't know what I mean when I say harvesting, threshing, and and winnowing, the disciples were most likely, you know, first of all, they were plucking the grain, which would be considered harvesting, which was against the Sabbath. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath rubbing it in their hands, which is threshing. That's, that's a term. They were, they were threshing it. And then separating the grain from the, the chaff, which is called winnowing. Okay? And all of those things are listed in the laws of the Sabbath as being not allowed on the Sabbath, right? So, so the Pharisees considered all this work, and they're confronting Jesus about it. Hey, look what your disciples are doing. But what did Jesus bring up here to these men? Let's read on, verse 3. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Now what Jesus is talking about here. You'll find in 1 Samuel, starting around chapter 19, that King Saul wanted to to kill David, um, who was to someday be the king himself, David was, right? And ultimately, as a result of this, David had to go into exile because Saul wanted to kill him. And while he was on the run, he came upon a temple where he went into and he approached one of the priests there. And that priest knew who David was and and didn't understand why David was out there all alone, but or you know, just out on the run like this. But David asked him for some bread, and all there was available was the holy bread of the temple, what they called the show bread. That was all that was available at the time. So David took it and he ate it. And this is what Jesus is pointing these Pharisees back to. Haven't you read about this? In other words, haven't you read the book of 1 Samuel? Don't you know about this? And, but you see, the analogy here is this. David was approved by God and meant to be the future king of Israel. Right? Saul wanted his son Jonathan, Saul who was the king at the time, he wanted his son Jonathan to be king and didn't like all the attention that David had, all the favor that was upon David from the people. The people loved David. They sang about David. And David again was to be that future king. Right? So Saul, the king, and Israel, the nation, many of them as a whole that were followers of King Saul, were rejecting David 
And David was in exile. He was on the run. You see, but the Lord Jesus was also, the analogy here again is that the Lord Jesus, who is the true and rightful King of Israel, He's right there in their presence right now. And this is what He's pointing out to them. They should not have been challenging and rejecting Jesus. He's the Messiah. History was repeating itself here, and the disciples of Jesus were not doing anything wrong because Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of all. You can't question Him on what He's doing here or His disciples. And in verse 5, Jesus says, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? You see, the priest of that day also worked on the Sabbath in performing animal sacrifices and such. And yet we know that Jesus is the great high priest, right? And the complete fulfillment of the priesthood. And this is what Jesus expresses to them here. In verse 6, he says, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. So Jesus was saying here to these Pharisees that, Hey, standing right in front of you right now is the greatest king, the highest priest, and there's none greater than he. But they didn't understand. Again, they didn't understand who he was. And if they truly did know him, they would understand what Jesus teaches them here in verses 7 and 8 when He says, But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus was here getting at the heart of the matter with these guys, these self-righteous Pharisees. If they knew Jesus, they would not be accusing His disciples of doing wrong simply for eating because they were hungry, right? If they truly knew Jesus, they would not be going around pointing out all the faults of others that do not subscribe to their religion. Instead, to the contrary, they would understand that these servants of the Most High needed to eat because they were hungry. People that truly know Jesus do not stick to religion, but rather are people of mercy, people of love and compassion, not a people constantly worried about their religious duties. Today, people still subscribe to religion without ever really being changed in their heart. They've never been born again of the Spirit of God, and they go about subscribing to their religion and sticking to it, right? This is what the Pharisees here are an example of. We'll see later on in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus described these people, these religious people, these Pharisees and the Sadducees and such. He described described them as those that were very meticulous about cleaning the outside of a cup and a dish, but inside their hearts were full of extortion and self-indulgence, Jesus said. Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, 
but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. And again, we see that in a lot of religious groups today. People that get all dialed up on the outside, look a certain way, go to church and do all that they do, and look a certain way on Sunday. But after that, what's really in their hearts come out. And they go back to living in the ways of this world, never really being changed on the inside. Again, we always see that Jesus is always looking at the internal, right? We got to understand this is that Jesus cares about the heart, not your religion, not your church affiliation, right? He desires mercy. He desires that we would be merciful people, right? Sacrifices is outwardly and for all the world to see, but mercy and compassion and love come from within a person. Now when he had departed from there, verse 9, when he had departed from there, he went into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So here we go again, right? The self-righteous are still up to their same old tricks. You'd be amazed you know, when I think about this, this circumstance that I'm reading about here, you'd be amazed at how many times over the years I have had people ask me trick questions or, or loaded questions. They'll ask me a question about the Bible or the scriptures, and they'll pose it to me in such a way that you think they have some sort of need, and maybe you're going to help them by answering their question. And then when, you, when I answer their question, they hit me with their religion or with their private interpretations, you know. Um, this is what these guys are doing here in verse 10. There in their presence again, was we, we see a man with a problem. This man had this withered hand. And they were trying to bait to use this. They, they could care less about the man. They're just trying to use this situation to bait Jesus into saying something wrong. Right? They didn't think that this man should be healed. But remember, Jesus requires mercy, right? Not sacrifice, mercy, right? So Jesus answers them in verse 11 here and says, Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? will not lay hold of it and lift it out. So he's kind of putting their, their religion right back on them, right? Okay, so it's the Sabbath day, let's say, and you have a sheep, and it falls into a pit, and it needs to be saved. I know every one of you is going to pull him right out of there, right? And how much, and Jesus goes on and says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, it's about the heart, right? This is what Jesus cares about. He wants us to have hearts of love for one another. So they asked the question in verse 10, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? And Jesus answered at the end of verse 12, of course, of, of course it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And, and there probably wasn't one man in that room that could have healed that man except for Jesus. And yet, these religious folks were still missing the point. They're missing who Jesus was. 
And do you see there at the beginning of verse 12 how Jesus says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Do you ever take notice today how it seems that the same people that are for things like abortion today are usually the same people that want to save the whales? Okay, They're, they're all for the killing of human life, but they want to save the whales, right? There is no life more valuable than a human life. And this is what Jesus is pointing out here. And this is what he cares about. Right? That we love one another. That we be merciful people. People that are changed by the Spirit of God that works within us. Not a self-centered, getting our way, looking out for our own interests, but rather a people that are caring for the lives of other human beings. But also notice that Jesus didn't say that the sheep have no value here. Right? He's just pointing out that a human life is of more value. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12 and verse 10, it says that a righteous man regards the life of his animals. Right? So let's not miss the point that Jesus is making here. Right? These Pharisees were putting their own bent, their own ways above mercy. A person that is right in their heart with the Lord would not do things that suit their own personal interests, but rather are considering of the life of others, right? And human human life is of the greatest importance. Verse 13, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. Think about that. Jesus cared about the life of another human being, and they wanted to kill him for it. You have no right to violate our laws, is what they thought within themselves. That's what they were standing for. We feel this way. We we like it this way. And you have no right to infringe upon our ways. This was their attitude. It didn't matter that Jesus was merciful toward the life of another. They wanted Him stopped. They wanted Him him dead. The same thing happens still today for those that stand in mercy for the souls of others. For those who want to reach out with the gospel and preach the gospel to people. And call people to repentance that their soul may be saved. And that they can come into a right relationship with God. People hate those people that do that kind of thing. They don't want you to mess up their lives. They don't want you to tread on what they want to do. Because they love the darkness rather than the light. But you know what? There's something that we need to learn from Jesus here. We need to see how He handled this situation and learn from it as His followers. And I'm speaking to those that are His followers. In verse 15, But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew withdrew from there. Now, I want to pause right there. There's a period there. That's a complete sentence at the start of verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew from there. It says here that they wanted to kill Jesus for showing mercy toward another man, right? And when Jesus knew this, he withdrew 
from there. In other words, he moved on. He had a work to do in the souls of others. He didn't spend all of his time fighting against these Pharisees and getting people to picket and protest and all of that. There were lives to be touched, souls to be won. And we need to realize this as well as followers of Jesus Christ. There are souls to be won for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God. Even though I want to to yield my life to what the will of the Lord is, I don't need to spend all of my time arguing with and disputing with those that think otherwise. Right? For example, I'm not for the killing of babies in the womb, but I realize that the people that are for it are lost souls. Right? They're lost souls themselves. They need Jesus just as I did, just as I do. I was once lost and without God in my world. I followed in the paths of the world, the paths of selfishness and the paths of lust, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, right? And I followed in the ways of greed, right? You name it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I am no exception. But I don't need to stand around and argue against things. I need to let people know that it's Jesus that they need just as I need Jesus. God loves the sinners of the world. He desires that all men everywhere would repent and turn to Jesus. Standing and arguing about political bents is is not the answer, right? Showing love and mercy is the answer, just as Jesus did. And that's what we Christians need to learn, that we need to love and realize that we were once lost without God in our world. And the people that are living according to the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, the pride of life, wanting life their way, wanting wanting no one to infringe upon their rights, right? They're lost. They don't even know it. And and if they were right here with me right now, they may be screaming at me, telling me they're not lost, right? Because they don't even know it. They don't even see they're blind. But I was once blind. And without Jesus, without the Spirit of God coming within a person, everyone is blind. So we have to be people of compassion, people of love. Verse 15 there continues and says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. He had love and compassion on everyone that he came in contact with when he was on the earth. And he wants us to do the same thing. Have love and compassion on everybody that we come in contact with. You're not going to see me standing around fighting and arguing with people over this or over that. I'm going to tell them of the love of God, and I'm going to move on. Right? Yet he warned them, verse 16, yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice In the streets, a bruised reed he will not break, 
and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. All of that simply says that Jesus was not all about yelling in the streets and drawing attention to himself and arguing with people. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah that he was going to be the one in whom all the world could put their trust. But, but he wasn't about getting his 15 minutes of fame and drawing all the attention to himself. He didn't want to make himself known. It wasn't about him. That wasn't the way he was, nor is it the way that we should be. Jesus was all about fulfilling the will of God and not amassing great wealth and great amounts of intention to, attention to himself. Verse 22, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now, all of the Jewish people knew that the long-awaited Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So, by asking that question there, that is, what they, what they were truly asking there is, is this the Messiah? When they say, could this be the son of David? That's what they were saying. Is this the Messiah? The eyes of their hearts were beginning to be opened to who Jesus really was. And the Pharisees were not going to accept that. Verse 24, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. The Jews believed that Beelzebub was the prince of all demons. They were refuting that Jesus was the Messiah. People were saying, Hey, could this be? And they're saying, no, it's not. Right? They were stating instead that he was demonically empowered. That's where he's getting his power from. Demons. Whenever someone comes to the knowledge of who Jesus really is, there will always be those trying to influence them to go in a different direction. When I came to Jesus, I had someone in my life that tried all they could to persuade me not to go that way. Not just one someone, a few someones. I said, oh, you don't need that. Don't do that. Right? And this is what these Pharisees were trying to do here, to keep people from believing in Jesus Christ. But Jesus, verse 25 says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. So Jesus in great wisdom here pointed something out to the Pharisees. You see, in that day, the devout religious Jews had people amongst them that were exorcists, right? People that would cast out demons. And Jesus is simply pointing out that if, uh, that if the power that he had to cast out demons was demonic in and of itself, then 
when they were casting out demons through their exorcists, then they too would be judged as demonic just as they were judging Jesus to be. So he was basically using their own logic against them here. Then in verse 28, Jesus continues speaking, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So they've got a dilemma, a decision to make. Who is he? Is he doing this by the Spirit of God? Or is he doing this by demons? And and Jesus is presenting it to him, right? The question earlier, again, could this be the Son of David? Is this the Messiah? Is he the one that was to come from God? And Jesus here is giving them the answer by asking them questions and making them think about it. Verse 29, he goes on, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. So again, the answer here is yes, first of all. Jesus is the Messiah. He was casting out demons by the Spirit of God because He came down from heaven. He was indeed the one that was to come, and He was telling them that they either needed to be for Him or against Him. They needed to make a decision to be for Jesus or to be against Him. And the work He was doing was indeed the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 31, he simply tells them that they could say all they want against him. But if the work he was doing was from the Spirit of God, they better take pause and they better be careful of what they say if this is the work of the Spirit of God. If they speak against the work of the Spirit of God, they're going against God himself and they will not be forgiven of doing that. They will not be forgiven for going against the work of the Holy Spirit. And today, we need to decide which side we are on. Are you for the work of the Spirit of the Lord, or are you against it? And if the Spirit of the Lord is working in your heart to come unto Jesus, and you're against it, there's no forgiveness of your sins. Because it's only by repenting and coming to Jesus will there be forgiveness of your sins, right? So, do you stand for the things that God wants you to stand for? Mercy, love, grace, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Have you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus? Are you yourself led by the Spirit of God or do you follow the Spirit of this world where it's all about you and you getting and having the life that you want and you're anti-God, you're anti-Jesus, you're anti-the things of the Bible and anyone that preaches the things of the Bible, right? Because you want to be in your sin. You want that life. Well, that's your choice. You have the right. God gave you that freedom. God gave you that choice to do that. You have that choice to come unto Jesus or to not come unto Him, to believe on Him or to not believe on Him, just like these people had the choice here. 
Verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus says, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, so don't think that everything's going to work out in heaven. You're going to get by. In other words, you can, you know, as long as you don't murder, as long as you don't commit a big sin or whatever, you're going to be all right. You're going to make it to heaven. And, you know, everything's going to be all right in the age to come. No, it's not. It's not going to be all right in the age to come. Right? There's not eternal life for the person that is anti the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it is, it is the Spirit of God that will change a person at their very core. So to be against the work of the Spirit is to not be changed, to not repent, to not turn to the Lord and be born again and renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Jesus is saying here that you have to make a choice. He continues in verse 33 and says, either make the tree good and its fruit good. Think about that. Make the tree good and its fruit good. So a good tree is going to produce good fruit. You can't have a person producing bad fruit in their life who says they're a good tree. A person that says, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but yet they're living in adultery or fornication, sex outside of marriage. They're doing all these kind of things over here, but they say they're good. Jesus says, no, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you be an evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus was cutting right to the heart of the matter here. These people were not speaking against the work of the Lord, and as, or excuse me, they were speaking against the the work of the, the Lord, and as a result, they were displaying what was in their hearts. And nothing has changed about people today. They hate the Word of God. They hate the will of God. They instead love their own sin and hold to their own convictions. Their mind is set. Who cares what the Word of God says about the sanctity of marriage, right? Who cares what the Word of God says about males and females, right? Who cares what the Word of God says about the sanctity of human life? I want to do what I want to do and when I want to do it and how I want to do it. And you know what? They have the freedom. You have the freedom to choose that. Right? They have the right to live exactly how they want to live. I'm not going to sit and argue with you about it. It's your choice. Jesus gave the choice, right? If people choose not to live in the ways of the Word of God, the ways of the Lord, who am I to sit and argue with them for their choices? God gave people the freedom of choice, right? I simply fulfill my calling in life to teach and to preach the Word of God, to point you to the truth of the Word of God. Whether you accept it as truth or not, that's up to you, right? 
I want to take you and anyone else that wants to hear to the pages of Scripture, and then I want to let the living Word of God have its effect on your heart. Because you know why? That's how I myself came to Jesus Christ. Someone brought me the Word of God, then I read the Word of God, and then I took it to heart, and then I made the choice to repent and to turn unto the Lord. And the bottom line is you are either for Him or you are against Him. Jesus had in His day some that were for Him and many that were against Him. And the same holds true today. I'd like to finish out this chapter today, so let's read on. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So here He was, right? He's, he's healing the sick, remember? He's casting out demons, right? But they needed to see more. Okay, verse 39, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater one than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Simply put, Jesus is rebuking them for not receiving who he was. The only sign that they were going to see now was him being crucified, dead, and buried. He will rise from the dead on the third day, right? Jesus quoted to them here examples from the Old Testament that pointed them to all that they needed to know. He was the one and the only Messiah that they needed to believe in. Today, for you and me and all the people of the earth, there is no other way to be saved but through faith in Jesus Christ. They were missing the greatest man to ever be in their midst, the Son of God, God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? And we can't make that same mistake today. If we don't repent It's only going to get worse, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. It only gets worse unless you repent. And to come to Jesus means to give all that you are to Him. Nothing is to be more important in in life than your relationship with Him. Jesus will now begin to explain just that by starting in verse 46 here. He says, While He was still talking to the multitudes, behold, His mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with Him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. 
But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my, my and sister and mother. So Jesus used this moment to make it clear that the deepest relationship that we need to concern ourselves with is our relationship with Him. There's no other great, greater relationship. There was nothing more important to Him than that the people would come and be saved, right? Nothing more important than the relationship that He was to have with those people. He had an earthly mother. He had earthly brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph had other kids together that would have been Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, right? But, he was, but what he was doing here was he was pointing out to the world the fact that he came to bring us all into the family of God. To bring us all to a place where we would yield to the working of the Spirit of God in our hearts, where we would be changed on the inside to become a people not of religion, but a people of love, mercy, grace, and compassion. A people that cared about the sanctity of life. A people that concern ourselves primarily with the will of God. And we find that the will of God is where? where? How do we know it today? It's written in the pages of our Bibles. The world will hate the one that stands for Jesus because the world hated Him when He was here and they loved their sin. They don't want to repent. He didn't fit in. He didn't come to fit in. He doesn't call us to fit in either. He calls us to come out and to come unto Him to repent and to be saved from this perverse generation, from this perverse world, right? Do you hear the Spirit of the Lord calling you today? If so, then don't hesitate to come to Jesus. Believe on Him. Turn from this world today and give your life to Jesus. The tree is either good or it's bad, and it's your choice. You need to make that choice. You are either for Him or you are against Him. Which is it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as Your Word goes forth, Lord, into all the world, as it continues to go forth, as the preaching of the Gospel continues to go forth, God, of course, God, we know that it is Your will, that it is Your desire that people would be saved that people would turn unto you, that they would deny themselves, that they would take up the cross, that they would follow after you, that they would be crucified, dead and buried themselves, and live only because of faith in you and through faith in you. I pray that your word will accomplish that as it's been taught today. And those that are listening to this audio recording, to this video, watching it, Lord, I pray that if they haven't surrendered their lives to you, that today would be the day of salvation for them, Lord. Let your will be done in all of our hearts and minds, Lord. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, that as we gather here, Lord, you are here in our midst. And we thank you for your presence in our lives. You are good and you are faithful. 
You are loving and kind, and we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. So we thank you again for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.